CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure Season 2, Frankenstein. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black returned from an ill-advised trip. Why ill-advised? Because I put myself in harm's way and I did it purposefully. Why, Michael? Why would you jeopardize yourself when you are so valuable to uh, about four people? Because I think I reached my limit with the pandemic. I think I, I just had to get out. I had to get out of the house. I mean, look, Moderna fam, what up? I got my first vacky and I'm Moderna fam. 100% all the way. So with sore arm this past Sunday, it was going to be a rainy day here in the wilds of Connecticut. And I just thought to myself, I, I, ha- I have to go. I have to leave here. It's been too, I, you know, I just have to, I, I, and worse, I have to go and I have to play poker and I have to put myself in a situation that I know is, you know, not optimal for remaining safe from COVID. But I was like, look, they're doing good protections there. And I'm talking, when I say there, I mean, Mohegan Sun, the casino that is about an hour and a half from me. You know, you have to wear masks. You have to sanitize. They've got plastic barriers between the players. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go play poker. I just got to get out of the house. I got to drive somewhere. So that's what I did. I went to Mohegan Sun, double masked, played myself some poker. And it's not, it, look, I'm not, tr- I'm not even trying to toot my own horn, guys. You know me. I mean, that's the last thing I want to do. But I walked out of there with 50 more dollars than when I arrived, okay? Two Jacksons and a Hamilton. I was just, in, and when I walked out, I was just waving them around, just like, hey, y'all, look at me. Two Jacksons and a Hamilton that I didn't even have when I walked into this place. But it was very relaxing. That was the thing that, that was so 
wonderful about the experience. I was sitting, I was surrounded by lucite, I was masked, and just playing cards for a few hours. Three hours is all I played. And it was just so relaxing. Maybe being out of my environment or something. I don't know what it was. It was the most pleasant three hours of poker I'd played in I don't know how long. Also, all the players at the table were terrible. I mean, I'm not saying I was great, but there was no stress because everybody was terrible. So it was like, all right, I don't need to. And, and I was playing for the, lo- the lowest stakes that they have at that casino. So it was all just very chill and I needed it. And I feel better for having done it. Now, when I end up on a ventilator in a couple of weeks, I may not be as, uh, I, may not, I'm, I'm, I may regret that decision. But right now, hey, what are you going to do? And so I'm back with a, a kind of new energy, like I've just been on vacation, excited to philosophize more with you and me and the big buddy and God and Satan and all the Nephilim, all of us working together to figure out the mysteries of life. Because ultimately, that's what this book is about. The very fabric of life itself. What constitutes, well, at least human life, human life, our humanity. What separates us, not only from the lower creatures, and am I being a little creaturist by calling them lower creatures? You're goddamn right I am. What are they going to do? Complain about it? They can't even talk. What separates from the low, us from the lower creatures and from the higher creatures? And by that, I mean our God, if you are a believer. So, you know, we're back, you know, we're, we're in the big buddy's um, little uh, cottage that he made. He's just given Frankenstein the notebook that he has of Frankenstein's that showed how Frankenstein made him. And he's, you know, complaining the way I normally do. Why did you form a monster so hideous that even you turned from me in disgust? Right? That was the last complaint that we heard. And, you know, it's a big question. So the very last sentence that we had was, uh, Satan had his companions, fellow devils, to admire and encourage him, but I am solitary and abhorred. And now we're caught up. So back to the book. These were the reflections of my hours of despondency and solitude. But when I contemplated the virtues of the cottagers, their amiable and benevolent dispositions, I persuaded myself that when they should become acquainted with my admiration of their virtues, they would compassionate me and overlook my personal Deformity. There's an unusual word, uh, use of the word compassionate as a verb. They would compassionate me. I don't hate it, Mary. I really don't hate it. They would compassionate me. I like that. And overlook my personal deformity. Could they turn from their door one, however monstrous, who solicited their compassion and friendship? I resolved at least not to despair but in every way to fit myself for an interview with them, which would decide my fate. I postponed this attempt for some months longer, for the importance attached to its success inspired me with a dread lest I should fail. Besides, I found that my understanding improved so much with every day's experience 
that I was unwilling to commence this undertaking until a few more months should have added to my sagacity. I, I, I'm just thinking about this for the first time now. I'm putting myself in the cottager's position. Okay, you know you have this guardian angel who's shoveling your walk and giving you wood and you know uh, detailing your car, whatever. You don't know where this benevolent spirit is coming from. You're grateful for it. You're in fine fetter because Safi has arrived from Turkey, right? And like there's much more love and light in the house. Things are going okay for you. You get a knock on the door. You open it. There's an eight-foot-tall creature standing there saying, essentially, hey, I'm your guardian angel. I've been watching over you. I've been helping out around the house. And all I want from you, if you would have me, is for you to compassionate me. Will you just compassionate me here for a second? Now, at first, it would be startling, no doubt. If any eight-foot creature shows up at your door, no matter how good a mood you're in, you're going to be like, hey, wait a second. Let's just take a breath here because you're eight feet tall and scary. Now, you add the deformity to that, right? The yellow eyes, the stitched together skin, whatever. And you're like, okay, this is alarming. But then you go through those initial couple of moments of shock and, well, hey, let's say it may be disgust, okay? You're like, oh, you know, you get over the, ew, gross. And then, you know, you talk to the thing and you've never met anybody so thoughtful. You know, Big Buddy is clearly very bright. He learned your language in a matter of months. He read Paradise Lost and assorted other histories of Greeks and whatever. He seems to know you and seems to love you. And okay, it's creepy. He's been spying on you, but maybe he doesn't tell you that part. And how can you turn him away? Why would you turn him away? Like the, the only, like the only bad part about him is he's eight foot tall and creepy looking. But, you know, we, we all know creepy people, look, cr- looking people in our lives. We don't necessarily turn them away unless they do creepy things. And it doesn't seem like the big buddy's going to do anything creepy. We understand why Frankenstein uh, freaked out when the thing came to life and, you know, sort of stumbled around the room and was, and was scary. We understand why the villagers, having seen this big beast rumble through their town, were like, oh, God, you know, get away, big buddy, get away. Okay, it was immature, sure, but we understand it. But if we understand the context of the big buddy, and, you know, who's to say we wouldn't, when, when, if we just listened, we'd be like, oh, you poor thing, come on in, have a biscuit right? Have a biscuit. That's what should happen. That should be the end of the story. Let's see what happens, because I know it's not that. Several changes in the meantime took place in the cottage. The presence of Safi diffused happiness among its inhabitants, like I said. And I also found that a greater degree of plenty reigned there. Right, it's spring, they're making veggies, you know, I don't know what they're doing. Safi's probably releasing singles on Spotify, and I know they don't pay a lot, but you know, you get a little. Felix and Agatha spent more time in amusement and conversation and were assisted in their labors by servants. What? Servants? Where did the servants come from? They did not appear rich, but they were contented and happy. Their feelings were serene and peaceful, while mine became every day more tumultuous. Their servants, where did they come from and how did they not see 
the big but like why does why do they have this like basically this little sh- shed by the, by the side of the house and nobody ever goes into it why is it there then you know maybe it's a canning shed you know or a pickling shed but nobody ever cans anything or pickles things it seems like he would have been discovered at this point increase of knowledge only discovered to me more clearly what a wretched outcast i was I cherished hope, it is true, but it vanished when I beheld my person reflected in water, or my shadow in the moonshine, even as that frail image and that inconstant shade. Wait, what? Or my shadow in the moonshine, even as that frail image and that inconstant shade. Uh, Even though you couldn't see yourself very well, I guess that's what you're saying. I endeavored to crush these fears and to fortify myself for the trial which, in a few months, I resolved to undergo, and sometimes I allowed my thoughts, unchecked by reason, to ramble in the fields of paradise. Paradise is capitalized there as in the Miltonian use of the word, and dared to fancy amiable and lovely creatures sympathizing with my feelings and cheering my gloom. Their angelic countenances breathed smiles of consolation. But it was all a dream. No Eve soothed my sorrows nor shared my thoughts. I was alone. I remembered Adam's supplication to his creator. But where was mine? He had abandoned me. And in the bitterness of my heart, I cursed him. I curse you, Dr. Frankenstein. I curse you, you sweat hog from hell. Autumn passed thus. I saw with surprise and grief the leaves decay and fall, and nature again assume the barren and bleak appearance it had worn when I first beheld the woods and the lovely moon. Yet I did not heed the bleakness of the weather. I was better fitted by my confirmation for the endurance of cold than heat. But my chief delights were the sight of the flowers, the birds, and all the gay apparel of summer. When those deserted me, I turned with more attention towards the cottagers. Their happiness was not decreased by the absence of summer. They loved and sympathized with one another, and their joys, depending on each other, were not interrupted by the casualties that took place around them. The more I saw of them, the greater became my desire to claim their protection and kindness. My heart yearned to be known and loved by these amiable creatures. To see their sweet looks directed towards me with affection was the utmost limit of my ambition. I dared not think that they would turn them from me with disdain and horror. The poor that stopped at their door were never driven away. I asked, it is true, for greater treasures than a little food or rest. I required kindness and sympathy, but I did not believe myself unworthy of it. All right. Um, Yeah, I mean, we know. Basically, big buddy, we know. You've said this for the last 50 pages. You want to go. You want to meet the cottagers. You want them to be nice to you. We get it. We get it. Like, get off your duff and do it. Right? Um, Let's take a little break. Why not? Big buddy's taking a break, you know? Sitting in that hovel for months on end, waiting to knock on the door. 
But he's right. You know, the if you knock on the door and you're polite and kind, the poor they don't turn the poor away. Why would they turn away the big buddy? Like imagine uh, somebody the size of what? Shaquille O'Neal plus a foot, okay? Well, okay, let's just start with Shaquille O'Neal. If Shaquille O'Neal knocks on your door, you're going to be thrilled. Shaquille O'Neal, what are you doing here? You're going to be delighted. Granted, you recognize Shaquille O'Neal from his terrific commercial appearances and his long career with the NBA. And so you're like, oh yeah, that's Shaquille, friendly guy. We love him. Come on in, have a biscuit. Okay, so then you, so then you say, okay, well, what if it's just an anonymous seven-foot-tall guy shows up at the door? You're not going to be rude. You're not going to be like, well, you can't be here. You're too tall. You're going to be like, how may I help you? And if the guy says, I just shoveled your walk for the last year, and I brought you firewood for the last year, and I detailed your car for the last year, you're going to be like, oh my God, you're the guy. Come on in. Have a biscuit. Okay. Add a foot in height to that. Is that extra foot going to be like, you're going to be like, you don't come in, don't have a biscuit. No. Okay. You're still going to be like, come on in and have a biscuit. Are you going to be like, if he has scars all over his face, are you are, are, what, are you going to be like, go away, don't have a biscuit? No, you're going to be like, come on in and have a biscuit. Like the more I think about this, the more I'm like, buddy, just knock on the door. It's going to be fine. Knock on the door. All right. Let's see what happens. We'll take a break. We'll be back in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We're back. I've refreshed myself. I am feeling utterly refreshed and starting to feel like He's making a mountain out of a molehill here, starting to feel like everybody's got their thing. You know, everybody's insecure about something. Like, I get insecure about, I don't know, my whole being, you know? I'm convinced nobody likes me. But that's not the same as going, 
I think everybody hates me and they're automatically going to hate me. No, I think people are going to dislike me once they get to know me. But nobody knows the big buddy. He's insecure about his appearance. Okay, we've all had that too. He's not insecure about his character. And so he says at the end, I did not believe myself unworthy of it. So he's got a nice sense of self. He's got a nice ego about him. I don't mean that in a, in a, in a mean way. I mean like he knows who he is. He's like, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. Let me come in. Give me a biscuit. The winter advanced, and an entire revolution of the seasons had taken place since I awoke into life. My attention at this time was solely directed towards my plan of introducing myself into the cottage of my protectors. I revolved many projects, but that on which I finally fixed was to enter the dwelling when the blind old man should be alone. Yes, that's what I've been saying. Start with the blind guy. He can't see you. To him, you're just a dude. I mean, maybe your voice is a little rough and a little bit deep. Maybe he can sense that you're bigger than normal, but okay. Start with the blind guy. Smart. I had sagacity enough to discover that the unnatural hideousness of my person was the chief object of horror with those who had formerly beheld me. Right. You're just freaky looking, dude. Did you guys ever see uh, uh, Boardwalk Empire? And there was the guy from World War I who'd been so badly injured and he had to wear like a Phantom of the Opera mask over half his face. You know, it's like that. But we love that guy, you know? Like, even when we saw him without the mask, we're like, we love you. I don't care. It's fine, dude. My voice, although harsh, had nothing terrible in it. I thought, therefore, that if in the absence of his children I could gain the goodwill in mediation of the old Dilesi, I might by his means be tolerated by my younger protectors. One day, when the sun shone on the red leaves that strewed the ground in diffused cheerfulness, although it denied warmth, safety Agatha and Felix, here we go, departed on a long country walk, here we go, and the old man, at his own desire, was left alone in the cottage. When his children had departed, he took up his guitar and played several mournful but sweet airs, more sweet and mournful than I had ever heard him play before. At first, his countenance was illuminated with pleasure, but as he continued, thoughtfulness and sadness succeeded. At length, laying aside the instrument, he sat absorbed in reflection. My heart beat quick. This was the hour and moment of trial, which would decide my hopes or realize my fears. The servants were gone to a neighboring fair. Very convenient. All was silent in and around the cottage. It was an excellent opportunity. Yet, when I proceeded to execute my plan, my limbs failed me, and I sank to the ground. Again I rose, and exerting all the firmness of which I was master, removed the planks which I had placed before my hovel to conceal my retreat. The fresh air revived me, and with renewed determination, I approached the door of their cottage. I knocked. Who is there? said the old man. Come in. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
my first attempt at the voice is always terrible. I don't know what the old man sounds like. You know, I kind of want to give him a French accent, but you know, my French accent is going to be terrible. And then what if they develop a relationship and I have to continue the French accent and then I'm always, you know, Pepe Le Pewing all over the place. And as we know, Pepe Le Pew has been canceled. Gamin, who is there? Gamin. I entered. Pardon this intrusion, said I. I am a traveler in want of a little rest. You would greatly oblige me if you would allow me to remain a few minutes before the fire. Enter, said De Lacy, and I will try in what manner I can to relieve your wants. But unfortunately, my children are far from home, and as I am blind, I am afraid I shall find it difficult to procure food for you. That was, you know, that was a, uh, maybe a little more subtle than the Pepe Le Pew. Maybe a little bit more subtle. Do not trouble you, yourself, my kind host. I have food. It is warmth and rest only that I need. I sat down, and a silence ensued. I knew that every minute was precious to me, yet I remained irresolute in what manner to commence the interview when the old man addressed me. By your language, stranger, I suppose you are my countryman. Are you French? No, but I was educated by a French family and understand that language only. I am now going to claim the protection of some friends whom I sincerely love and of whose favor I have some hopes. Are they Germans? No, they are French. But let us change the subject. I am an unfortunate and deserted creature. I look around, and I have no relation or friend upon earth. These amiable people to whom I go have never seen me, and know little of me. I am full of fears, for if I fail there, I am an outcast in the world forever. Do not despair. To be friendless is indeed to be unfortunate. But the hearts of men, when unprejudiced by any obvious self-interest. <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying luxuriating in my French accent, you know, and I'm trying to keep it under control. And I know it probably doesn't sound at all like any authentic French accent. I don't care. It's fun for me. To be friendless is indeed to be unfortunate. But the hearts of men, when unprejudiced by any obvious self-interest, are full of brotherly love and charity. Rely, therefore, on your hopes, for if these friends are good and amiable, do not despair. They are kind. They are the most excellent creatures in the world, but unfortunately, they are prejudiced against me. I have good dispositions. My life has been hitherto harmless and, in some degree, beneficial. But a fatal prejudice clouds their eyes, and where they ought to see a feeling and kind friend, they behold only a detestable monster. Okay, so if I'm the cottager, if I'm old man de Lacy at this point, I'm starting to think, wait a minute, did I just let into my house the guy from No Country for Old Men? Did I just let in Benicio del Toro from No Country for Old Men? And if I did... I'm fucked. Not only because he's going to put a cattle wait, wait, stunner in my head, but I know that he's got that haircut and I can't deal. 
That is indeed unfortunate. But if you are really blameless, can you not undeceive them? I am about to undertake that task. And it is on that account that I feel so many overwhelming terrors. I tenderly love these friends. I have, unknown to them, been for many months in the habits of daily kindness towards them. But they believe that I wish to injure them. And it is that prejudice which I wish to overcome. Where do these friends reside? Near this spot. The old man paused and then continued. If you will unreservedly confide to me the particulars of your tale, I perhaps may be of use in undeceiving them. I am blind and cannot judge of your countenance, but there is something in your words which persuades me that you are sincere. I am poor and in exile, but it will afford me true pleasure to be in any way serviceable to a human creature. Excellent man, I thank you and accept your generous offer. You raise me from the dust by this kindness, and I trust that, by your aid, I shall not be driven from the society and sympathy of your fellow creatures. Even forbid, even if you were really criminal, for that can only drive you to desperation and not instigate you to virtue. I also am unfortunate. I and my family have been condemned, although innocent. Judge, therefore, if I do not feel for your misfortunes. How can I thank you, my best and only benefactor? From your lips first have I heard the voice of kindness directed towards me. I shall be forever grateful and your present humanity assures me of success with those friends whom I am on the point of meeting. May I know the names and residence of those friends? I paused. This, I thought, was the moment of decision, which was to rob me of or bestow happiness on me forever. I struggled vainly for firmness sufficient to answer him, but the effort destroyed all my remaining strength. I sank on the chair and sobbed aloud. At that moment, I heard the steps of my younger protectors. I had not a moment to lose, but seizing the hand of the old man, I cried, Now is the time. Save and protect me. You and your family are the friends whom I seek. Do not you desert me in the hour of trial. Great God, exclaimed the man, who are you? <laughs> who, are, who are you? Um, oh, I mean, we're down to it, guys. We are down to it. That door is about to open. Agatha, Felix, Safi about to walk through that door. They're about to, they're about to see the big buddy grasping the old man's hand. They're going to beat him with sticks. At that instant, the cottage door was opened and Felix, Safi, and Agatha entered. <laughs> Who can describe their horror and consternation on beholding me? Agatha fainted, and Safi, unable to attend to her friend, <laughs> rushed out of the cottage. Felix darted forward, and with supernatural force, tore me from whose, his father to whose knees I clung. In a transport of fury, 
he dashed me to the ground and struck me violently with a stick. That's what I said. (laughs) It really was a stick. I could have written this book. I could have torn him from limb from limb as the lion rends the antelope. But my heart sunk within me as with bitter sickness, and I refrained. I saw him on the point of repeating his blow when, overcome by pain and anguish, I quitted the cottage and, in the general tumult, escaped unperceived to my hovel. Well, you know, it seems like maybe you made uh, a tactical error there, big buddy, by grabbing the knees of the old man. Had you merely sat quietly, you know, (laughs) and sobbed, or had you done anything else, Rather than clutching at an old blind guy, perhaps you could have stilled Felix's hand. And good for you for not tearing him limb from limb, as you said you could do. But I think maybe you didn't need to uh, retreat the way you did. Felix is really incapable of harming you in any significant way without some aid greater than a stick, I think. You could have said, hold on, my friend, let can, may, can I please explain the situation? Something, rather than beat a hasty retreat to the hovel. And how you got to the hovel from the house without being detected is a little unclear to me because the hovel is connected directly to the house. It's like a storm shed right next door. They would have watched you leave. You know, they, they would have seen where you had gone. It's inconceivable to me that they would not have. We can understand Felix's alarm. He walks in the door. He sees the big buddy clutching at his dear old blind father. And probably anybody's first thought would be, hey, 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 get the hell off my dad. Right? That makes sense. But I feel like big buddy could have, you know, said or done something. And the old man certainly could have said or done something. But, you know, I guess they're probably going to talk about it that night. And and the old man's going to say his side of the story. And we'll find out. But you'll notice, like, as I'm reading this thing, there's less cause for me to interrupt my own reading because stuff is happening. And now as a reader, I'm interested. Now as a reader, you know, there's a little bit of momentum going and I'm excited to see what happens next. So there's no reason for me to be like complaining, kvetching, and otherwise regretting my decision. Things are happening. And that's all we want in a book, right? What comes next? What comes next? What comes next? We want to know. Less me, more she. In this case, the she is Mary Sheely. Can't spell Shelley without she, right? I mean, come on, feminist, am I right? Moderna fam, am I right? So anyway, you know, look, fun episode. Fun episode, good stuff. We'll end it there. If I don't have COVID by next episode, we'll continue this conversation on another uh, COVID safe poker environmentally sound episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure Season 2 Frankenstein is produced by Robin Lynn, Mary Shimkin, Jennifer Brennan, and myself. It is generally recorded in the wilds of Connecticut with original theme music by Craig Wedren. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black, where not only 
will you be receiving every single episode of Obscure Season 2 Frankenstein way before the general public hears them, but you'll also get bonus episodes, uh, writings, musings, jokes aplenty, and if you sign up to our highest tier, you get to join the semi-regular book club, which we hold every now and again. It's patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black.